Thank you, JT. That was beautiful, just beautiful. How many of you have heard Sister Vestal Goodman sing that song? Raise your hand. How many? Hold it up for a minute. Just let me see around. Yeah, that's about half of everybody, I guess. The older half. <laughs> and uh, uh, thank you, JT. That was just beautiful, beautiful. Turn with me in your Bibles. If I can get my uh, hanky there to get in the right place. In, uh, to Revelation in chapter 12. We're only going to read one, two verses here, and then we're going to move on, as you see, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter's just back a few of the little books uh, from Revelation, so it'll be easy uh, to find. I thought about preaching on Father's Day, and then I thought about preaching on the uh, Bible school coming up. Then I thought about finish, you know, continuing on the series I'm on in, in uh, chapter 12 of Revelation, and I decided to preach on all three of them at one time, so we won't be here but about three hours, and then we'll, <laughs> then we'll go. Of course, I'm kidding. Revelation chapter 12, and I, I just want us to pick up some thoughts about the devil, the dragon as he is described here in, uh, am I on, Ronnie, am, am I on the, uh, this mic, okay. Um, the dragon. Let's, let's read in verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that he was cast out of heaven at this point, midway point in the tribulation period. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth. And his angels, that would be demons, his angels were cast out with him. Look at verse 11. And they overcame him, that Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Three points. We can overcome Satan by pleading the blood and uh, counting on his merit for us. Be because of our testimony, we know who we are in Christ, and we can speak that, and we know we belong to him. And that's our testimony. And then a surrendered life. We... Love not our lives, even unto death. We are totally surrendered to the person of Christ. And in those three ways, we overcome the devil. Now, turn back to uh, 1 Peter, which is, as I said, you go back, you know, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, 1st John, if you're going backwards, 2nd Peter, and then 1st Peter, chapter 5. 1st Peter, chapter 5, and verse 8 says be sober that means be not only does it mean don't be intoxicated but it means uh, don't let things distract your thinking think clearly be sober minded because he's going to mention something very important be, be sober and then be vigilant the word vigilant means to be watchful and careful be careful because Satan is out there after our marriages, after our families. And uh, so he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist. Now, 
Revelation 12 was talking about end times. Peter's talking about the here and now, right now. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. That's the only way you can resist them, in the faith. That is, claiming the blood, bearing your testimony in a yielded life, as John would say. And, uh, and so, resisting the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, Satan, the word Satan is used 52 times in Scripture. It means adversary, enemy. The word devil is used 35 times, and it means a deceiver, a slanderer. There's 22 names given to Satan in the Scripture. Some of them aren't titles as much as they're a descriptive name. 22 names. Three of them come from the animal kingdom. And they, we've already read those, if you can think back. If you look at your screen, though, let me remind you of those three. The dragon, he's called a dragon. That was the most fierce of all the mythical creatures. He is intimidating. He is powerful. He is a great force. He is also called a serpent. A serpent is deceptive and sneaky. Somebody told me they found a snake in their kitchen the other day. I couldn't sleep for two days. <laughs> they can, they're sneaky. They can crawl through a little tiny hole. They can hide in grass that's only a few inches tall. That's the way Satan is. And then the last one is this lion who is the king of the jungle. He's the fiercest of all the beasts of the earth and the and can be the most deadly of all the beasts of the earth. That's Satan. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable, I pray. Help us to be sober when it comes to this subject. Help us to be vigilant, watching, careful, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. In, uh, in 1898, the, the British government began to build a bridge over the Savo River in Kenya. It was, a, um, it was a railway bridge for trains to go across. It was a great endeavor. And the man who was leading the project was Lieutenant Colonel John Henry Patterson. Not long after the project started, and it was a huge project, thousands of workers, most of them were from India, but some of them were from Africa. And uh, the, camp, the camp was made up of, of a several individual camps, but it stretched eight miles with, with thousands of people. Not long after the, the um, project started, the workers began to disappear at night, some of them. And then they began to find their bodies out in the brush. Some of them were completely eaten. Some of them were just 
tore apart and mauled. They knew they had a man-eating lion that was killing people. And so the man in charge, Lieutenant Colonel Patterson, he set out to try to kill this lion. He put some traps and couldn't trap him. He sat in a tree all night long with his rifle trying to shoot him, find him maybe uh, from on the tree. Eventually beat a, uh, built a stand, a platform to get on that, uh, so that he could stay safe and shoot at the animals. But nothing worked. Nine months went by, and every night one would go missing and be eaten. They were sleeping in tents. This lasted nine months. Over the nine months, 135 men were torn apart, half of them eaten and half of them just torn apart. 135. Can you imagine laying in a tent at night, a tent, Knowing that there was a man-eater, actually there ended up being two man-eaters, two lions, two male lions, hunting together. Can you imagine laying in that tent at night and trying to rest with that lion just outside? Well, I want you to know Satan is just outside as a roaring lion. Can you imagine this, though? What if you had your children with you? Fathers, what if you had your children with you in that tent I mean the very thought of it is horrifying after the nine months eventually Patterson killed one of the lions the, the first line he killed was nine feet and eight inches long and it took eight adult men to carry the carcass back to the camp the second one was killed 20 days later it actually took 11 days to kill the second one. And nine, he, Patterson shot the lion nine times. The last three times, the lion was wounded and was crawling towards him to, to eat him. The lion had ended up stalking Patterson because he knew Patterson was stalking him. And he finally killed him with the knife shot from a high-powered rifle you can see those lions today in Chicago in the natural uh, museum the field museum of natural history those lions are there and you can see them can you imagine living that way no wonder God used a term for Satan that he was as a roaring lion. Nothing could be more fearful. Be careful. Be vigilant. Be watchful. For he's after your marriage. He's after your children. He's after your testimony. Be careful. Listen with me for a few minutes about some ways in which Satan is after us and our children. This is from an online organization with statistics, WebRoot. It says, the significant threat to our society, pornography. Here's some statistics. Every second in the U.S., every second in the U.S., 28,000 
258 users are watching pornography on the internet every second. Every second in the USA, just in the US, $3,075 is spent on pornography on the internet. $3,000 every second. Pornography uh, gains, makes $17 billion a year in the U.S. 68 million search requests related to pornography every day. 25% of the total searches that people do on the internet, 25% are related to pornography. Now think about that. These, these numbers are unbelievable. Four million Americans regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all downloads are related to pornography. 25% of all searches, 35% of all downloads. One-third of porn, porn watchers, viewers, are women. One-third. Boys say they have, 93% say they have viewed pornography by the time they're 18. Girls, 62%. The average age now in America that people view pornography for the first time is 11 years old. Satan is after our children. He wants to snatch them out from under the tent and tear their lives apart. Now this organization is not a Christian organization. So they're not thinking about pornography being immoral or that it might cause immorality or anything like that. They're thinking about it strictly from a secular point of view. Here's what they say the dangers of the internet uh, pornography use for teens is. This, is. this is what they say about teens. The, uh, it increases the odds of teenage pregnancy if you're watching pornography and it doubles that likelihood. Number two, it hinders sexual development. Viewing pornography by teens disorients them during their developmental phase so that they don't know how to handle their sexuality. Then this secular organization recommends you block internet connection devices from accessing adult material. It's a good start in keeping pornography out of the reach of teens. Not only can they see it on a laptop or a computer or a tablet, they can see it on their phones. In a matter of just a few seconds, they can pull up pornography. It starts, starts by curiosity. But it ends up as an addiction. Here is some... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Some still risk factors for teens. It raises the risk of depression... Pornography, viewed regularly, brings feelings of loneliness and major, quote, major depression. And then number four, it creates a distorted expectation which hinders healthy sexual development. 
So this secular organization says, keep the conversation going with your child about the effects of pornography. It is, sen it is essential to head off issues like depression and low esteem, end of quote. Now you take the Christian view, and all of that's true, of course, but also it's immoral. It's sinful. And it leads to other sins. Regarding the family, the National Coalition of the Pro Protection of Children and Families says 50%, 47% of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. 47 to 50%. This is an interesting one. Pornography increases the chances of marital infidelity by a rate of more than 300%. 300%. Someone who is watching pornography on a regular basis has a 300% better chance of being unfaithful in their marriage. Satan is after our families, isn't he? Like a roaring lion. And then it says that 56% of divorces in the United States involve, uh, involve one party or the other in pornography. 56% of divorces, that's a part of the reason for divorce. And then 68% of divorces, 68% of divorces, one of the two divorcing met their new sexual partner online. We live in a, we live in a fearful world, don't we? Well, pornography. Let's think about drugs for a moment. The Addiction Center has new stats on drugs and alcohol. Here's some of the statistics. Drug overdose deaths have more than tripled since 1990. Alcohol and drug addiction together cost the United States $740 billion each year. That's how much it costs the government. And then this article is from the National Center of Addiction Statistics run by the government. Accidental drug overdose is a leading cause of death in persons under the age of 45. Over 70,000 drug overdose deaths occur in the U.S. every year. And from 1912, uh, 2012 to 2015, there was an increase of 264% of deaths related to opioids. And so when the doctor gives you pain pills, be sure you use them only the way you're supposed to and get rid of them and don't leave them around where somebody else can, can get their hands on them. The average life expectancy in the U.S. has declined because of this 
uh, drug uh, overdoses. In 15 states, as you know, marijuana has been legalized. They said it would bring in a lot of money and taxes. By the way, for every dollar it brings in, it costs the state four dollars in, uh, in taking care of me medical uh, and so forth and, and, uh, uh, and criminal activity. But it also increases, even marijuana in, increased in these, in these states, 54% emergency room visits went up and hospitalizations increased by 101% in the states where marijuana is now uh, legal. This is again is from the National Center for Drug Statistics. When asked about illegal drugs of high school and and middle school students, they asked, have you used an illegal drug in the last 30 days? Illegal drug. Among 8th graders, 5%. Now that doesn't sound real high, but if you had 1,000 8th graders, there'd be 50 of them who had used an illegal drug in the last 30 days. Not in their whole life, just the last 30 days. Of 10th graders, it was 20%, and of 12th graders, it was 24%. So out of 1,000 12th graders across America, that'd be 250 that have used illegal drugs in the last 30 days. This is a crisis. This is a dragon and a lion and a sneaky serpent sneaking in to bite with its deadly poison. And then, I want you to think with me about some other drug statistics, and particularly about alcohol. I know a lot of times we don't consider alcohol as a drug, but it certainly is. It's just a liquid form of a drug. This says 74% of, of adults suffering from some kind of abuse, substance abuse disorder, struggle with alcohol. 74%. And then this organization talks about the causes of addiction. Let me read a couple of these others before we look at the causes. Um, We've already looked at the other. I've looked at that one. Here's, here's three causes. First of all, genetics. For it, 40 to 60 percent of what these experts say is the cause of, of addiction is genetics. Sometimes genetics skips a generation. I know there are some Christians who drink alcoholic beverages and they think it's okay they even you know think it would be foolish if they didn't and you may get by with that you husband and wife father you may get by with that but you're teaching your children to do the same and they may have a tendency towards addiction 
Because genetics is about 50% of the cause. And then environment is the next. If they see their parents drinking or using drugs. And the third is a mental health disorder. On alcohol addiction, this article, again from a secular organization, says alcohol is the most widely abused substance in the U.S., yet alcoholism is often left untreated. An addiction to alcohol can be detrimental to a person's physical life, mental life, and social well-being. On average, 30 Americans die each day from an alcohol-related car accident. 30 lives a day. And then eight Americans die every day from alcohol poisoning. In all, in a year's time in the U.S., alcohol-related deaths are 95,150, end of quote. Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I think Christians should take alcohol a little more seriously than we do. Look at your board for a minute and let me share with you a verse. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now I know the arguments. I've read the books. I know the arguments for Christians saying it's okay to drink as long as you don't get drunk. It's okay to drink. Wine is talked about in the Bible. But in the Bible, when wine is talked about, it's, it's even referred to as wine as soon as it comes out of the wine press. The wine press squeezes the grapes, or people get in and walk on them to squeeze them, and then the juice from, the, from, that, um, from that pressing goes out the side and into a container, and the Bible calls that wine. But it's not intoxicating. It's just grape juice. Now, sometimes the Bible talks about intoxicating wine, and it's always in a negative sense, like our verse right here. Wine is a mocker. It'll make you do foolish things, and then it'll laugh at you and mock you. It's a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler, a raging anger. So, alcohol. I think it's one of our big um, tools of the enemy. You remember Paul Harvey, most of you. How many remember Paul Harvey? Raise your hand. Oh, that's even some of the younger people remember old Paul Harvey. He was a conservative newscaster, but he worked for ABC. That was back in the days when ABC might have a conservative view and a liberal view all on the same channel. That day's gone now. But he was a conservative that worked for ABC for all those years. And at one time, he was the most heard and listened to newscaster in the country. 
And one time he did a little segment on If I Were the Devil. Karen's brother, Doug Weeks, played that for me back a couple of weeks ago. And I want to play it for you now. I want to remind you now, this was in, this was in 1965, 57 years ago. And listen to what Paul Harvey said. Let's run that. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth, I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Wow. That's prophetic, isn't it? 1965. And he told what's going on today. I want to add to that a little bit my own thoughts if I were the devil. If I were the devil, I would do most of my work through the secular school system. 
That way, I could reach most of the children and young people in the country. If I were the devil, I would have the school teach that it's okay to be a homosexual. Matter of fact, I would have them teach it's a good thing, and it should be celebrated with parades and rainbows and music. And I would even get the teachers and students to look at homosexuality as though it were trendy. Something that would make you kind of stand out, you know, make you a little different from the rest. I would give it a new name, though. Homosexuality doesn't sound too good. I would try to think of a happy name, like gay. If I were the devil, I would say that homosexuality... Science proves that you're born that way and you can't help it. Then, if it didn't go well, we could blame it on God himself. Of course, it is not science, but I'm the great deceiver, a liar and the father of all lies. I would tell young people to be sexually active because everyone is doing it and there really is no such thing as sin after all. If I were the devil, I would call alcoholic beverages, I would call them adult beverages, so that when teens sneak around and drink, instead of feeling guilty, they'll make them feel like grown-ups. And when they turn 21, they will be anxious to drink all they can. If I were the devil, I would have the schools teach starting in kindergarten, first grade and second grade, that you can be a boy or a girl, either one. All you have to do is choose your gender. Of course, this would cause a great amount of confusion to them, but that is good because I'm the author of confusion, the great deceiver. If I were the devil, that's what I would do. Satan is as a roaring lion, isn't he? Truly, he is. There's something else Satan does. Listen quickly. 2 Corinthians 4, it says, For if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that's a phrase, that's a name for Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, least the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan tries to keep people from coming to Christ. Do you know in America today, the greatest evangelistic week of any local church is vacation Bible school. I mean, statistically speaking. And it's true of us. We'll reach a lot of children, we'll teach a lot of children, and some of them will give their heart to Christ, and it'll be glorious and sealed for all eternity. And that's coming up. But Satan will try to hinder that. I mean, it's tough. Vacation Bible school is pretty tough. You go to work all day, then you barely have time to eat. If you do have time to eat, barely. By the time you get to the church and you're serving, by the time you get to the church... Then you've got two, two and a half, three hours here at the church, and by the time you get home, you're just about dead. 
And so, in this time of VBS, Satan will try to hinder our progress in the VBS. That's a part of what he does. He wants to keep people from, from the gospel of Christ, the image of God, shining on them. The, uh, the Christian missions and world evangelism says that people coming to Christ, of all the people who come to Christ, 85% come to Christ by the time they're 14. So from 4 to 14, 85% of the people who become Christians become Christians in that age bracket. So much so that many experts are calling it now the 4-14 window. That is a window of opportunity to reach people before Satan does what? Before he hardens their hearts uh, against the gospel. Before he gets them so involved in pornography and immorality and, and atheism and so forth. That makes it important. Not only that organization, but another organization, the Global Ministry Center, agrees with that 85%. International Bible Society gives it an 83% of all Christians. So if you're, if you're not involved in Bible school, please pray for Bible school this week. There'll be a satanic challenges and warfare going on. By the way, I want to... Everybody that's involved in Bible school in any way, teaching, helping, crafts, anything, you've helped set up something, if you've helped in Bible school or are going to help in Bible school, stand right now, would you? Now, that, everybody can't do that, but I want to recognize the ones who can. Wow, look at that. That's a lot of people. Now, yeah, amen. Don't sit down yet. I want the rest of us to look at them and see how happy they look and... You know, well fed, and they got some sleep last night because next Sunday they're not going to look quite that good. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Look at your screen for a moment. I just want to give you now in closing some practical thoughts. One, fathers and mothers, parents, teach them, your children, God's Word. Don't just let the church do it. Now, the church is going to do it. We're going to do the best we can at it. But it needs to come from parents as well. Parents, teach them the Word and pray for your loved ones because Satan, as a roaring lion, is after them. Pray for them. Pray that God would hedge them about in His protective care and watch over them. And then secondly... Live for Christ before them. Let them see a genuine follower of Christ. Let them see a man, a woman, who is surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. You'll never give your children a better gift than that gift right there. Let them see it. And then bring them to church. Bring them to church every time the doors are open. Bring them as often as they can. Bring them, bring them for anything you can think. Wednesday night, the other night, a few weeks ago, we had a, a missionary going to Iceland. It's the only missionary I've ever met going to Iceland. And there's only one missionary there now, and he's going to join this other missionary, he and his family. He preached a tremendous message, told us about Iceland. 
and there was only one teenager in the building. It would have been wonderful if all of our young people, teenagers, could have heard that presentation and other presentations as well. Bring them to church. Now, I know these are practical helps. I know there are some people who have a prodigal son or daughter, and, I mean, they had such rebellion in them that they won't come to church, but not only will they run away from church, they'll run away from home, they'll run away from school and all of that. All we can do for them is love them and pray for them. Some of you may have some prodigal children like that. But these things will help. Bring them to church. And then restrict all porn on phones and computers. Now, you may have to do some research and find some software to help you do that. I know some families, uh, they have software so that they can see anything and everything their children have done on their phones or on their computers. And so mom and dad are watching to see what kind of websites they go to. But there are other software that can actually uh, uh, keep you from pulling up pornographic sites. And then five, keep drugs and alcohol away. Keep them out of your home. If your children see you drinking and you're calling it adult beverage, they're just going to look forward to when they can do it. And they may have that gene or that chromosome that enhances the possibility of addiction. Wouldn't you hate to do that to your kids? And then the last thing is this. Seriously and earnestly seek the Lord about a Christian school. Now, I know not everybody is going to send their kids to a Christian school, and I'm not saying everybody should. I'm just saying you should pray about it. Seek the Lord. What does the Lord want you to do about your children? I know that uh, there are some people who I've heard say, I feel like my children are a, a light in the darkness. They're like missionaries on the mission field. Well, I hope that works, and I really do, and I pray for them. And, and, and I know people who have come through the public school system who are some of the best Christians I know. So I'm not saying this is for everybody, but I'm saying everybody ought to consider it and pray about it and seek the Lord's will. What does the Lord want for you and for your children? Karen and I sent our kids to Christian schools, and if I had the choice again today, I'd do it again. And I know people say, well, I just can't afford it. Well, you can if you make it a priority. Karen and I couldn't afford it. If you looked, on, if you looked at our budget, we couldn't afford it either. But if you make it a priority and do without some things that are less important and you pray about it and ask the Lord to meet the need, you can afford it. Maybe you can't afford not to do it. So pray about it. Seek the Lord's will about it I close with this Paul Harvey when he was in his prime he, he was the most listened to broadcaster in the country he had all the money anybody could want he had a good wife 
they loved each other. He called her angel. And, um, but in the midst of his, the zenith of his career, he still felt like something was kind of missing. He and his wife went on a vacation in Arizona up in the mountains, and they come across this little white church on a hill up on a mountain. And they talked about how beautiful it was. I know you probably do that too. Karen and I always say, look at that church up there, how beautiful that is. They talked about how beautiful it was, and they said, <coughs> this Sunday, let's come back to this church. And so they agreed, and so sure enough, a couple of days, it was Sunday, and they, they went to that little church. There was, there was about a dozen people there, and they had folding chairs. And when you come in, you get your chair, and you unfold it yourself. And sat down in it. It was a little Baptist church. And uh, the preacher preached on full surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul Harvey said, when the invitation was given, he found himself walking down the aisle. He had been saved when he was a young man. But... As of recently, he had not allowed Christ to really be Lord of his life. That day, he rededicated his life and surrendered fully to Christ. And he said this, and I quote, My heart swelled with joy in my new surrender. Dads, Satan is after our children we better be sure we are fully surrendered. Remember the passage in Revelation 12? You have to be surrendered to the point where you'd be willing to give your life. Resist the devil. First Peter chapter 5. Let's be full, sure we're fully surrendered, all of us. Fathers, mothers, young people. Bow with me, please. Our heads are bowed. Maybe you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. No doubt about that. But today, the Lord is speaking to me about some things. Now, I'm not going to embarrass anyone or ask you what it is, but maybe it's about some decisions you need to make in the home to protect your children. Or maybe it's a full surrender of your life to the Lordship of Christ. But you'd say, I know I'm saved, but God is dealing with me about some things today. If that's the case, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Many hands around. Many hands. Yes, you may put them down. Yes, God bless you. I see that one. Are there others? I wonder if there's anybody here who has never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you let me pray for you? Would you slip your hand up right now? You've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you raise your hand up? Anyone? All right, Father, thank you for our time together. Speak to us now. May we be sober and vigilant, watching, thinking this through, thinking clearly about Satan being after our families and our children. Help us to make good decisions. And may each of us here today afresh yield to your Lordship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please, if you would.